to say the things that you would have me to say. Lord, help us to be attentive. Help us to be able to learn from your word, to apply things to our lives. And Lord, I pray that you'd help this to be a time that we could learn something that would allow us to be able to uh, become better Christians, better followers of Jesus Christ, uh, better husbands and wives and, and parents. Lord, I pray that you just bless the next few moments in your precious name. I pray. Amen. Well, we're there in Romans chapter number 7, like we talked about uh, earlier already. Uh, on Sunday nights, we've been preaching a series entitled Character. Character. The, the difference between success and failure. And what we did on last Sunday night, we began kind of an introductory sermon talking about what is character and what hinders character. And character is self-controlled. Character is self-discipline. Character is being able to make yourself do that which you should do when you should do it, whether you feel like doing it or not. And tonight, we're talking about the subject of character and habits. Character and habits and addictions. And you know, you got to understand this. Habits and addictions, you know, for some of you, this may be a world that you don't know or a world that you don't understand. But habits and addiction, and what we're talking about are things like drugs, alcohol, uh, pornography, gambling, spending. You know, have many, many, many people all around us in bondage and addicted to these type of things. And when we talk about, but you got to understand this, we're going to be talking about character and habits in the negative sense, but we'll also be talking about character and habits in the positive way, because the, the, there is a such thing as establishing good habits. And having uh, good things that we do on a continual basis. And, and we're going to look at this, and I don't want to take very long. I know we're having cake and ice cream, but I want to be able to, to, to teach you a few things and show you a few things. And the first thing we got to do is, number one, if you're taking notes tonight, we want to talk about what is a habit. What is a habit? Defining a habit or an addiction. Here, in Romans chapter number 7, I, I've said this multiple times, I don't have to say it again, but of course the Apostle Paul is writing to the church of Rome, and the Apostle Paul is one of the greatest Christians that ever lived, and Paul really allows us to see into his own personal life here, and we get a view uh, of the man, of the Apostle Paul, who was a great man, who was a godly man, who was mightily used of God, who had the power of God in his life. But here, he kind of shows us a little bit about himself, and in Romans chapter chapter 7, just look down at verse number 15. I want you to notice what Paul, the apostle, says. He says, for that which I do, I allow not. Okay, now you got to understand this. He's a preacher. He's a, he's a spiritual leader. And he says, you know, the things that I don't allow other people to do, he's like, those are the things that I do. For what I would, the word would there is talking about what he wants to do, or what he would do, what his will would have him to do. Notice what he says. He says, for what I would, that do I not. He says, look, there are things that I'd like to do that I end up not doing. But what I hate, that do I. He says, there are things that I hate. There are things that I know are wrong. There are things that I know are sin, but I do them anyway. Look at verse 16. If then I do that which I would not. He says, look, if I do the things that I don't want to do, the things that I have desired not to do, he says, if then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Now notice this. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. 
He says, look, I'm, my will, my desire is to do good. He said, to, do, to will is present with me. He said, I want to do that. I want to show up to church on Sunday night. I want to read my Bible. I want to pray. I want to be faithful. I want to be godly. He says, for to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find out. He said, it just seems like I've got all these things I want to do, and I just can't get myself to do it. Amen. And he says, and there are these things that I don't want to do. In fact, I preach against them. I, I don't allow others to do it. I hate it. And those are the things I end up doing. But verse 20. Now, if I do that, I would not. If I do that, that I, I don't want to do. That it's not my will to do. It is not more I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God up to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity. And by the way, that's what drugs, alcohol, gambling, all those addictions, that's exactly what it will do. It will bring you into captivity, into bondage. He says, bring me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am. You ever feel like that? Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. You've got to understand this. Paul here opens himself up in a very personal way and says, there are things that I don't allow others to do. There are things that I preach against. There are things that I hate. And I end up doing those things. You know what he's talking about? I have Something that he doesn't want to do, but he does it anyway. And then he says, there are things I'd like to do. There are things I'm wanting to do. To will is present with me, but I can't find myself doing those things. You know what he's talking about? A lack of a good habit. Now, before you start judging the Apostle Paul and getting all, you know, angry at the Apostle Paul and thinking of him, you keep in mind, the Apostle Paul, other than the Lord Jesus Christ and John the Baptist, probably the greatest Christian who ever lived. Amen. I mean, most mightily man used of God, brought the gospel, you know, and probably the fact that he can be so truthful about his own state is the reason that God used him in such a mighty way. But you've got to understand this. Paul is defining for us exactly what a habit or an addiction is. A habit or an addiction is doing something that you do not necessarily want to do. And it is the opposite of character, because it is the opposite of self-control or self-denial. It is the opposite of telling yourself what to do. It's allowing something else to tell you what to do. I want to do this, but I can't find myself. I can't figure out how to do it. I don't want to do this, but I end up doing it anyway. Go to Proverbs 23. Proverbs 23 in your, in your Old Testament. Proverbs 23. Here you find another habit or addiction found in Scripture. Proverbs 23. The Bible says, Proverbs 23 and verse number 29, here it's talking about drinking, alcohol. And I know this is not popular and, and people don't like to hear it, but the Bible is very clear that drinking alcohol is a sin. It is wrong. And today Christians say, well, as long as you do it in moderation. The Bible says, look not thou upon the wine. You know, say, well, well, you're allowed to drink it in moderation. God said, don't even look at it. And I don't have time to go into the whole thing. Jesus did not turn water into liquor, okay? Uh, and I can prove that to you from the Bible. I don't have time to do that. If you're interested in that, talk to me after the service, or I'll give you a message to listen to. But in Proverbs 23, 29, the Bible says this. Who hath woe? Ask it a question. Who hath sorrow? Who hath contention? 
Who hath babblings? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? Notice verse 30. They that tarry long at the wine. Do you see that? Talking about alcohol. He says, you spend a lot of time with alcohol, you're going to have contention. You're going to have woe. You're going to have redness of eyes. Look what it says. They that go to seek mixed wine. Verse 31. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red. Do you see that? When it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. Now you gotta, I don't have time to develop, develop this right now, but the Bible talks about two different types of wine. One is what you and I would call juice today. And the Bible is very clear about that. It refers to wine as being in the cluster of a grape, okay? If you find a grape still on the cluster, guess what? It's not fermented, okay? It talks about pomegranate juice and then calls it wine. Jesus turned water into wine, but what we call today juice. And Proverbs 23 is telling us about a different type of wine. Now look at what it says, Proverbs 23, verse 31. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red. God just told us not to look at it. So if Jesus turned water into liquor, then that would make Jesus a a sinner. And he could no longer be the payment for our sins, because he's a sinner. So it says, look not thou upon the wine when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth upright. And by the way, this verse proves to us that there's different types of wines in Scripture. Because he says, don't look at this type of wine. He says, what type of wine? The, the one that is red. The one that gives us color of the cup. The one that moves itself right. So obviously, if we're not supposed to look at that type of wine, then there must be a type of wine we are allowed to look at. Does that make sense? You just got to understand. In the Bible, most of the time when they're drinking wine, it's talking about what we consider today grape juice. And when the Bible's talking about alcohol, you can look at the context, and it's very clear what he's talking about. Why? Because look, you're not going to get, you know, you're not going to have redness of eyes, and sorrow, and woe, and contentions, and babblings from drinking, you know, grapes 100% natural juice, okay? Obviously, here he's talking about an alcohol. Now look at, look at verse 31 again. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. Verse 32. At the last it biteth like a serpent, and stingeth like an adder. Thine eye shall behold strange women. That's what will happen when you get drunk. Thine eye shall utter perverse things. That's what will happen when you get drunk. Yea, thou shalt be as he that lies down in the midst of the sea, or as he that lies upon the top of the mast. They have stricken me, shall thou say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not. And look, up to this point, does that sound like a good time? And by the way, alcohol will lead to a very bad time. You just got to say, every drunk began being a social drinker. You know, the media and Hollywood wants to make it sound like it's a bunch of fun, but the Bible always gives it a very negative... Now, here's what you got to understand, okay? Look at what it says. Look at verse 35. They, that have, they have stricken me, shall thou say, that was not sick. They have beaten me, and I felt it not, and I felt it not. Now, notice here. Here's how we know it's, a, it's, an, it's an addiction. When shall I wake? I will seek it yet again. He says, I'm going to wake up, and I'm just going to go right back to it. People say, oh, I can control my drinking. I, I, I can stop whenever I want. Okay, then stop for the rest of your life. Well, I don't know. Then it's not, then you're not under control of it. You got to understand this. A habit, let me give you a description, uh, uh, definition for habits. A usual way of behaving. Something that a person does often in a regular and repeated way. Let me give you a definition for an addiction. A strong and harmful need to regularly have something or do something. A habit or an addiction is when you have to do something, you don't even have control. Here's a good way to define it. You do it by reflex. You don't even think about it, it's just something you do. Just something you, you say, something you take, something you do. That's a habit or an addiction. Now you got to understand this, okay? And I, I want to try to give you some things to think about. There are 
different types of habits and addictions. Okay, and I'm not a doctor and I'm not a scientist. I'm a preacher of the Word of God. Okay, so I'm going to try to give you uh, give this to you in, in, in a way that you can understand it. And we're going to get into the Bible. I'm going to show you a few things. But let me just give you a few things for you to understand the, the science behind the habits and the addictions. Okay, there are two types of habits and addictions. And I, you know, this is what people call it, what scientists call it. I, if you disagree with this terminology, I'm just going with what they call it. But there, there are two types of habits. There is a physical addiction and then a psychological addiction. A physical addiction is when your body physically becomes dependent on a chemical or a substance. That's like alcohol. That's like tobacco or nicotine. That's like, you know, drugs. Your body physically needs a substance. It physically needs a chemical. That's a physical addiction, okay? But there are also psychological addictions. That's when your mind becomes addicted to having something or doing something. And your mind feels like it needs to do something. Now, you've got to understand this, okay? A physical addiction and a psychological. Physical is your body physically needs a chemical. Physically needs a substance. A psychological is your mind just thinks it needs something, but it really doesn't. Okay? Now, you've got to understand this. Every addiction, listen to me, every addiction is a psychological addiction. Do you understand that? That's why someone who has struggled with drugs and alcohol can go through a period of time and suffer withdrawals and have their body physically have been withdrawn from the drugs and their body physically doesn't need it anymore, yet they'll still struggle with drugs and alcohol for months and years after. Why? Because every uh, addiction is a psychological addiction. So even when your body no longer needs it, your mind still thinks it needs it. Okay? But, not all addictions are physical addictions. For example, there are people that are addicted to pornography. Okay, obviously, when you're looking at pornography, you're not taking a chemical into your body. Do you understand that? There are people that are addicted to gambling. When you're gambling, you're not taking a chemical into your body. There are people that are addicted to shopping. Those are addictions, and they're legitimate addictions, but they're not physical addictions or psychological addictions. Every addiction is a psycho. So when someone has done drugs, they need to wean their body off the drug, but then they've got to deal with their mind. And that's why the Bible talks so much about renewing your mind. There are true habits or addictions that do not make you dependent on a chemical or a substance, okay? Now, let me explain this to you, because I want you to understand, how is a psychological addiction formed, okay? Because it's, it's not easy to wean yourself physically off a drug, it's not easy, but the steps to do it are pretty easy, just stop doing it, you know? And after a certain amount of time, your body will no longer need it, okay? Because it's not natural. But... I want to explain to you how someone, because you've got to understand this. You need to understand how someone becomes addicted to something in order to be able to break that addiction. And not only that, but you need to understand how to become addicted to something so that then you can form good habits and what the Bible calls good addictions. I'll show you that. But let me just give you a few things to think about. How is an addiction formed, okay? Number one, an exposure to what scientists call a reward. So when we are exposed to something that our mind considers something it likes, a reward, okay? When you are exposed to something like that, it triggers a portion in your brain called the, I'm going to try to pronounce this, I don't know if I'm saying it right, ventral tegmental area, okay? The ventral tegmental area releases a neurochemical uh, called a dopamine. And what happens is, 
your mind releases this dopamine into three areas of your brain. The nucleus accumbens, the prefrontal uh, cortex, and the amygdala. And I don't know if I'm pronouncing those right. If you're a doctor or a nurse and I'm not saying that correctly, I'm just going to uh, blame it on the fact that English is my second language, okay? So, number two. Dopamine releases into the nucleus accumbens, okay? And it gives us, it gives the individual a feeling of ecstasy, and exhilaration in the body. It makes your body feel good. And this is done naturally to reinforce behaviors which satisfy our fundamental needs. Okay, you got to understand this. This is something that God put in our bodies. Because um, our bodies... Let me not get ahead of myself. You, you just got to need to understand this, okay? This dopamine goes into your nucleus accumbens, and here's what it does. It makes you feel good. Okay? That's, that's the whole point. It, it makes you feel uh, good inside. Alright? Now, here's what you're going to say. This dopamine also releases into the prefrontal cortex. Because remember, it, it releases into three sections of your brain. The first section makes you feel good. The second section is the prefrontal cortex. This is the reasoning part of your brain. And it le- this is the part of your brain that you use for behavior. So when you get up, when you do something, you're using the prefrontal uh, cortex. And it releases this dopamine to that section, to the reasoning part of the brain. And it leads us to strengthen the behavior circuits needed to pursue and obtain a certain reward. I, I really want you to understand this. The first time you ever have to do something, you have to think about it really hard. When you got dressed this morning, you probably didn't think about that very hard. You just got this. When you ate today at some point, you probably didn't think about that very hard. But you ever watch a small child when they're learning to feed themselves? It's difficult. They're like, I gotta pick up the spoon. I gotta pick up the peas. I gotta try to get it into my mouth. Okay, they're developing circuits in their minds that are teaching them how to do that. The first time you drive to the new building, you're going to be like, oh yeah, we're supposed to go over here, uh, past Northgate, make a U-turn on New Market, oh, right here, okay, we're good, alright? But has anybody ever driven, like, have you ever driven home from work or something, and you get home, you're at your, you're, you know, you're like sitting in front of your house, and you're thinking to yourself, how did I get here? I don't remember any other trip that I, that, that, that I got here. Am I the only one that's ever done that? I mean, you ever just like drove somewhere, and you're like, you're not even thinking, you're just like, because your mind has these circuits of things, of behaviors that you do. So when this dopamine is released, your mind makes a circuit and says, oh, I like that. That felt good. Let's make sure we remember how to do that. And you create these circuits in your mind that says, oh yeah, when I want to feel good, that's what I got to do. I got to inject this, or I got to smoke this, or I got to look at this, or I got to spend this. Okay, dopamine is also released into the amygdala, which leads us to remember, both consciously and unconsciously. Now, here's the crazy thing. The details, it allows you to remember the details of a situation related to a reward. So, when you get that ecstasy, it makes your mind remember what happened or what was around you when you felt that good. It helps you to remember uh, details of the situation associated with acquiring and using a substance. Here's what it does. It sets up triggers 
to cause us to want to go back and do the same thing that made us feel good. So here's the thing. It, it's released into three parts of your brain. One makes you feel good. The other one makes you remember how to feel good. And the other one per- makes triggers in your mind so that when you see that individual again, or you go to that location again, or you go to that bar again, or you go to somewhere that reminds you of that, then you are triggered like, oh yeah, this made me feel good last night. And then your mind says, well, I know exactly how to do it again. You understand that? That's how a habit and an addiction is formed. Now you got to understand me. Things, dopamine is not necessarily a bad thing. God created this for our own good. See, a species needs to survive. And in order to survive, the members of that species must carry out such vital functions as eating, reproducing, and responding to aggression. God has therefore developed certain areas in our brain whose role is to provide a a pleasurable sensation when these things are accomplished, encouraging us to continue that. So look, when you exercise... You naturally, now I've read this, I've heard people say this, I've never felt this myself, because every time I'm done exercising, I feel like garbage. <laughs> okay? But people say, like, yeah, after you exercise, you just feel good. That's a natural thing that God put in your body, because it's good for you to exercise, and it's trying to cause you to do it again. However, when a natural good sensation that God placed in your body is mixed with chemicals or a, or a substance, it can amplify that feeling to an unnatural state. To the point where you feel really good, like no human was ever meant to feel that good. And it causes what we know now of today as addictive or habit-forming things, because you feel so good, you're like, I've never felt like this. And all of a sudden, that becomes the most important thing. i got to feel like that again. It's going to ruin my marriage, it's going to ruin my children, it's going to ruin my job, it's going to ruin my finances, but I must do it again. That is a habit. That is an addiction. Our brains become increasingly tolerable to dopamine levels. So that for an addicted person to achieve the same dopamine high, more use of the substance or chemical is required. That's how a habit is formed, okay? Now, how is a habit broken? Go to Luke chapter number 9. Luke chapter number 9. Now, I want you to understand this. Your mind has circuits set up. A circuit that tell, is going to tell it how, how to get home. Tonight, when you drive home, you're probably not going to think, okay, get off of Northgate, turn left, stop at the stoplight. At the second stoplight, i got to take a ride. You're probably not going to think, you're going to be talking, you're going to be on the phone, you're going to be eating your, you know, McDonald's you picked up on the way home, you're going to be driving, and you're just going to do it, because your mind has circuits to cause you to do that. Okay? But here's the bad, that's great. Praise the Lord for it. If, I mean, if you have to sit there and like every morning you're like, get up. Brush your teeth. How do you do that? Okay, pick up the two. If you have to think about things like that, man, you, you would be so exhausted after breakfast, you couldn't accomplish anything. Okay? God has set up our mind. The Bible says we were fearfully and wondrously made. God has allowed our minds to just set up circuits to cause us to do things that we do every day. But the problem is, when we do the wrong thing, guess what? We have circuits that cause us to do that again. So what do you have to do? you got to rewire your brain. Now how do you do that? Well, the way you wire it to begin with is by repeating actions. Okay? So the way you rewire your brain is by now allowing you to perform those old actions. Are you there in Luke chapter 9? Jesus talked about this, verse 23. We saw, I think we saw this last week, but let's look at it again. Luke 9, 23 says, And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross, and follow me. Part of living the Christian life is denying yourself of things that you would like to do. You've got to understand this. Every time 
You give in to a bad addiction or a bad habit. You strengthen the circuit in your mind that causes you to perform that action. If you're struggling with alcohol, every time you drink alcohol, you're just making your mind that much. You're just reinforcing that circuit. This is what I do to feel this way, to forget about my problems, to not have to deal with life. But at the same time, every time you refuse to give an addiction, to give into an addiction or a habit, you weaken that action. And eventually, you can weaken that action to the point where it no longer controls you. But how do you do that? You've got to stop doing the reinforcing of that circuit, and eventually your mind will actually repair itself. God has made a wonderful, uh, a, a, a wonderful mind uh, to the ability that you can. You say, "Well, I've done drugs for a long time, and I've done all this for a long time." But your mind can actually fix itself. But here's how you have to do it: you have to stop doing what you're doing. You say, well, "How do you do it?" You just got to deny your flesh. And look, there is a physical aspect of just weaning yourself off a drug. But then after that, you've got to rewire your mind to say, I'm not going to do those things that I used to do. People say, it takes 21 days to create a new habit. But you know what, honestly, if you, if you are just in the habit of doing something that is wrong, it's probably going to take you six months to really rewire your brain. And you may struggle with it for the rest of your life, but you've got to understand this. Every time you get to a place where you're like, I want to do it again, you've got to think to yourself, if I do that again, I'm going to strengthen the hold of sin on my life. And look, if you've been sober for like six months and then you do it again, you're just going to destroy everything you did. You're just starting over because you've re-strengthened it. But every time you deny your flesh, every time you say, no, I'm not going to do that, every time you say, you know what, I'm going to be like a follower of Jesus Christ, deny myself, take up my cross, and follow me, then you begin to strengthen new habits in your mind. Go to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter number 10. So you say, well, how do I break a habit? How do I break a, an addiction? Now, I'm talking about serious things like drugs and alcohol. But you know what? If you have a habit of, like, you know, biting your nails, this is the same way you do it. If you have a bad habit of just, like, I don't know what bad habits are. You know, burping in public or whatever. You know, you do it the same way. Number one, you just deny your flesh and don't allow yourself to do it. Number two, you must make yourself accountable to others. You must make yourself accountable to others. Are you in Hebrews chapter number 10? How do I make myself accountable to others? Hebrews chapter 10, look at verse 25. Hebrews 10, 25, the Bible says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. The Bible says that we are to assemble with God's people on a regular basis. Number one, let me just draw your attention to this, because I don't talk about this a lot, but we're here, so let's look at it. It says not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Does that sound like a, like a, you know, God saying like, you know, try not to forsake. I mean, that is a command. Just like it's a command to thou shalt not kill, just like it's a command to thou shalt not steal, God is saying here, don't do this. Don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together. The Bible commands it. And by the way, if you're struggling with a habit or an addiction, it's good to make yourself accountable to people. And, and, you know, let, let, let me say this. If I was struggling with, like, a drug addiction, what I would do is make sure that every time there's a church service, I was there. 
Every time there's a soul winning time, I'm there. Every time there's an activity, I'm there. Every time there's a work day, I'm there. Because you've got to understand this. The way you say, how do you deny yourself? Um, I've got this desire. I feel like I've got to do it. How do you deny yourself of it? Here's how you deny yourself of it. You keep yourself busy. Honestly. That's the only way to do it. Because idle time is devil time. And when you're just sitting around, you have nothing to do, you're just, you know, staying at home, you're going to get yourself drunk. I tell people this all the time. You, you know, people say, well, I don't work, you know, I, I'm disabled, or I don't work, or, you know, I'm a self-made millionaire, I don't have to... I tell people all the time, even if you don't need to work, you should get up every day, early in the morning, take a shower, get dressed, and find something to do. Because keeping your mind, you know, just focused on accomplishing something will keep you out of trouble. I don't know a lot of drug addicts that go to work every day and hold down a job and work 60 hours a week and make 100000 a year. Why? Because they're busy. I don't know a lot of people, you know, the people that are struggling with habits and drugs are just sitting around doing nothing all day. Say, Pastor, I, I, uh, I, I, don't, I, just, I don't have anything to do. Hey, I can give you like a thousand invitations that you can go out and knock on doors and invite people to church if you're looking for something to do. I'm just trying to tell you, you need to make yourself accountable to somebody. There are people that come to Verity Baptist Church. There are people in our church right now. And I'm not going to, you know, and if you think I'm talking about you, I'm not, because there's like multiple people. But there's people that come to our church right now who, who come to me or my wife and say, can you help me with an addiction? And I tell them, okay, well, here's what you got to do. You got to come to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, soul winning, and every activity. And they don't. And you know what I say to them? I can't help you. I can't help you. You know what? How can I get you, how can I help you to get to a normal, consistent life when there's no normal or consistency to your life. Amen. How can I know what's normal when everything about your life is erratic? See, you, and by the way, let me just say this. You say, well, Pastor Minutes, this sermon isn't for me because I don't struggle with, uh, with drugs or alcohol or any of that. Let me tell you something. All of us should be accountable in our lives. You know what? Pastor Jimenez doesn't just get up in the morning and get lost for 12 hours and nobody knows where he's at. Say, Pastor, do you struggle with, with drugs? I don't struggle with drugs. I don't struggle with alcohol. But guess what? My wife knows where I'm at all the time. I'm accountable to somebody. Why? Because the Bible says that we need to be accountable to each other. The Bible says confessing our faults one to another. And you should get to the place where you just keep it. I'm just telling you, just find something to do. And there's, if you're struggling with a habit or, 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 or a drug or an addiction, or you just can't keep from biting your nails or whatever it is, whatever you're struggling with, look, there's no reason why we should have a church service and you're not here. And by the way, let me just make this clear while I'm at it. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together is for everybody. The Bible says we are not to forsake God's assembling. And I don't say this a lot, but since we're here, let me go ahead and say it. Skipping church is a sin. Not going to church is wrong. For any reason. If you, you know, you say, well, I'm sick. If you're sick and you're laying in bed, you can't get out of bed, then you stay home and we'll pray for you. But if any other reason, you say, well, I couldn't go because I was at the football game. Then you just made that football game an idol because you put it before God. That's right. That's the truth. He said, people, I don't like that guy preaching. Well, get used to it. It's very Baptist church. I mean, good night. You don't like any sermon around here. It is wrong. You say, well, I, I have to work. I don't understand people say, well, Pastor, you know, God's going to bless my job. Why would God bless your job when you made an idol out of your job? It is wrong. Somebody said to me, well, I can't come to church anymore because we're going to have starting having family time on Sunday nights. But you can have family time Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday, you know, not Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night. And guess what? This is a family integrated church, so you can come here and have family time. But you need church. You need people. You need God's people. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. You must look. 
you must live your life in a way to where you're not here on Sunday night and people are like, where is so-and-so? They're always here. What's wrong? But you know when you get yourself in trouble? When you don't show up to church and nobody even notices because like, well, yeah, I mean, they're pretty hit and miss all the time. I mean, who knows? Who knows what they're doing? It's wrong and you must... You say, well, I don't struggle. We must all make ourselves accountable to each other. And if I, you know, if I just wasn't here for like six weeks, I think somebody should notice that. And, you know, I'm accountable to my wife. My wife's accountable to me. No one should just live their lives in a way where they could do whatever they want and nobody notices. Because that's how you end up getting yourself in trouble. I'm, I'm telling you, how do you, how do you break a habit? Number one, you must deny your flesh and keep yourself from doing the things that, uh, that, that strengthen that circuit of, this is what I do. I drink alcohol excessively. This is what I do. I take drugs. This is what I do. I look at pornography. This is what I do. I gamble my money away. You must stop that to allow your mind to recircuit itself to the way that God meant for it to be. But number two, you must make yourself accountable to others. And the key to that is consistency. Number three, go to Galatians chapter number five. Galatians chapter five. I'm going to say this and you're going to I hope you take this the way that I, that I want, and what I, and what I mean by this is, I want you to take this seriously. But you must develop a real walk with God and trust in the Spirit. The only way to conquer sin is through the Holy Spirit of God. And, and having a walk with God doesn't, you say, well, Pastor Minnick, you just said we've got to be in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. Yes, you do. But you know what? Going to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night doesn't mean you're walking with God either. You must walk with God. Look, character is doing the right thing at the right time, whether you feel like it or not. And here's another one, whether anyone's looking at you or not. It's easy to serve God and do right when someone's watching. Who you are when you're by yourself is who you really are. Are you in Galatians chapter 5? Look at verse 16. Galatians 5.16 says this, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And, here, and the flip side to that is this. When you fulfill the lust of the flesh, you're not walking in the Spirit. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murder, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you, before as I have told you in, the, in time past, that they which do such things shall uh, not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, here's the opposite. We, we're looking at the fruit of the flesh, the fruit of the Spirit. is love, joy, peace, more suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. We talked about this on Wednesday night. You walk in the Spirit, you're not going to need anybody to tell you what to do because when you're walking in the Spirit, hey, against such, there is no law. You don't need somebody watching over you. Why? Because you're watching over you and you know God's watching over you and you're going to do right whether the cop's watching or not. Look at verse 24. And they that are Christ... Have crucified the flesh. That's denying yourself. Listen to me. You must put your flesh to death every day. You need to get up every day, look in the mirror, and tell your flesh, you are not in control. Holy Spirit is in control. The new man is in control. I don't care what you say. I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to pray. I'm not going to go to that place. I'm not going to do what I want to do. I'm going to keep myself. I'm going to develop character. 
Look at verse 25. If we live in the Spirit, now look, here, here's what's interesting. If you're saved, you live in the Spirit. Do you know that? You're baptized into Christ. You're baptized, you're in the Spirit, right? If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. See, simply living in the Spirit doesn't mean you're walking in the Spirit. You must develop a real walk with God. Let us not be desirous of glory, provoking one another, envying one another. you got to understand this. Go, go, to, uh, go to 1 Corinthians, chapter number 6. 1 Corinthians, chapter number 6. 1 Corinthians, chapter number 6. You have to get... I know it's easier said than done. I understand that. But the way you do that is you discipline yourself. You make yourself accountable. And you got to understand this. You need to get to the place where God is in control of your body and your life, not you. Are you there in 1 Corinthians chapter 6? Look at verse 19. What? Know ye not that your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? Which ye have of God? And ye are not your own. For ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. To break the habit, you need to, number one, deny yourself. Don't allow yourself to do those actions again. Because every time you do it, you're just making it harder to get yourself to not do it the next time. And every time you get the victory, and every time you say, no, I'm not going to do it, and you win, then you're, you're weakening that circuit and you're creating new circuits in your mind. But you're also going to have to just make yourself accountable to people that can call you. Some of you need to just give people in this church permission to say, hey, when I'm not here, you call me up and you say, where are you? And you hold me accountable to my commitments. Because the lack of character is not being someone who does what they say they're going to do. And that's a problem. And the next thing you need to do is, look, there are triggers that are going to trigger you to do certain things. There, look, if, if you struggle with alcohol, don't walk into a bar. I was just going to go in to get a cup of water. Get a cup of water somewhere else, but not at the bar. There, there are some of you that there, there are some of you that there are streets on in this city that you should not drive by. If you, if you, if you struggle, there, you know, you know what those triggers are. There are people you need to stop. You need to lose their number. You need to stop. You see them walking down the street. You go the opposite way, and you get away from the white because they are a trigger that is going to cause problems in your life. There, you know, if you need to put the computer in, in, in the living room facing, you know, wherever, if you, if you need to throw it out the window, do whatever you got to do. But there are things that will trigger you to sin and do the wrong, and you must avoid those. And that is part of denying your flesh. Let's talk about forming good habits. Go to Luke chapter 4. We're almost done. Luke chapter 4. See, we have bad habits. And by the way, we all have bad habits. And maybe it's not drugs, maybe it's not alcohol. Those are easy to talk about because we can all understand that philosophy. But we all have things in our lives that we don't want to do, but we do them anyway. You've got you to gotta wage a war on that sin. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. Let me show you what Jesus said. Luke 4, 16. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. This is talking about Jesus, by the way. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was. You see that word custom, that phrase, as his custom was? This is what that phrase means. This is what he normally did. This is what he did on a repetitive, uh, you know, uh, occurrence. He did this all the time. As his custom was, look what it says. He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for reading. He went to a place where other people were. It was a religious place to read the word of God. Let me tell you something. If Jesus... God in the flesh thought it was important enough to make a custom and a practice of being faithful to church. Why do you think you don't need it? Are you better than Christ? Go to Acts chapter 17, look at verse 1. 
Acts 17, verse 1. Acts chapter 17, verse 1. Acts 17, verse 1. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts 17 and verse 1. The Bible says, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. There was a synagogue of the Jews. Now notice what Paul did. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbaths they reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. You say, how do I form a good habit? You form a good habit the same way you form the bad habit, by repetition. You just, whatever you want to do, you say, this is a good habit, this is a good thing for me. You do that on a repetitive, uh, uh, you know, you just do it every day, if that's what it's supposed to be, or every week, if that's what it's supposed to be. You do it all the time. You make it a custom or a manner of your life. They say it takes 21 days to, to, to create a good habit. That's why we do nine chapters a day in the month of January. You say, I thought we were doing it so I can get my name on a plaque. No, I'm trying to do it so I can get you in a habit of reading your Bible. That's why you, some of you ought to commit that you just ought to make a commitment that you're going to go to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night for the rest of your life, but you should commit to do it for a month and see if it sticks. And some of you need to just get yourself a chart and keep track of your own attendance to church because there are some of you that think you go to church a lot and if you really looked at it in the paper, you'd realize you really don't. Jesus, who was God in the flesh, and Paul, who was the greatest missionary who ever lived, both had a custom of going to church. I think if they need it, you need it. And they made a custom and a habit and a repetition. You've got to understand this. You say, how do I form a good habit? You do it repeatedly. And every time you get up, you say, I'm going to make a habit of getting up early in the morning. And your alarm goes off, and you get up, you are strengthening that circuit in your mind that says, we get up in the morning, we're not lazy. Every time that you say, I'm going to read my Bible, and you sit there and you get your Bible, you say, well, I don't feel like reading it right now. But you're disciplining yourself to do it. You're creating a circuit in your mind that says, this is what we do, we read our Bible. This is what we do, we pray. This is what we do, we go to church. This is what we do, we tithe. This is what we do, we go soul winning. This is what we do, we have character. And as your mind develops that, look, there comes a point, you know, some of you were really struggling nine chapters a day when you started. Are you struggling now? It gets easier. The chapters got shorter. You also develop some character. How do you form good habits? Through repetition. Same way you form bad habits is how you form good habits. You kept doing that over and over again. Kept taking that drug every Friday night. Why don't you go to church every Sunday night, every Sunday morning, every Wednesday? But then the same way that you form a good habit is how you form a bad habit, you reward it. Now look, I can't tell you how to reward a good habit. You've got to figure that out for yourself. But the way you do a good habit is you repeatedly do an action and then you reward yourself for doing that action. Let me give you an example. This is something I try to follow for myself. I have a rule when I get up in the morning, and I didn't come up with this myself. I heard somebody say that I thought it was a good idea. I have a rule when I get up in the morning. I read my Bible before I physically eat. Say, why? Because it motivates me to read my Bible. <laughs> and when I feed myself spiritually, then I reward myself by eating physically. You understand that? So I repeat an action, and then I, you know, whatever you've got to do, whether, you know, some of you say, well, well, I want to get myself in a habit of, of exercising. That's a good thing for everybody to do, exercise, including me. We all need to do it. So I, I want, you know, you say, well, I want to get myself in a habit of exercising. You know, let me give you an example. Maybe you start exercising, and once you get to a certain weight, you allow yourself to, to, to buy a new dress for the ladies, or buy a new suit that fits you nicer for the guy. And you reward yourself. So you repeat it, and then you reward it. You repeat it, and then you reward it. And you'll form good habits. We all need to be working at 
forming good habits. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians 16. Let me give you examples of bad habits. Drugs, obviously, bad habit. Alcohol, bad habit. Gambling, bad habit. Pornography, bad habit. But you know what? Spending money that you don't really have to spend is a bad habit. Being late everywhere is a bad habit. Not getting up early in the morning, sleeping in, is a bad habit. These are all bad habits we all need to work on. And you say, well, I don't think that those are bad habits. Yeah, they are. You know, you say, well, you know, is being late everywhere a bad habit? Why is it the same people always late all the time? Because it's a habit. Same reason the same, you know, you drink a lot, same reason, it's just a habit. We perform habits. You know, I mean, we all run late from time to time, but if you're just consistently late, then that's a habit you need to break. It's hard. I know it's hard. You know, and, and, and I, you know, maybe it's the military in me or whatever, but I have very little, you know, I don't feel very bad for people that are late everywhere. If, if my pregnant wife can get up early enough in the morning and get three kids dressed and fed early enough to go drive 30 minutes to pick a family up for church and be here 15 minutes early to shake a, a, a visitor's hand, there is no reason why some of you people need to be late to church. I don't like that type of preaching because you never had somebody tell you about character and integrity and doing right. Sleeping in, bad habit. Laziness produces more laziness. We need to break bad habits and establish good habits. Good habit, read your Bible. Good habit, pray. Good habit, save money. Good habit, exercise. Good habit, eat right. Good habit, I don't know. Something good. Do something with your life. Are you there in 1 Corinthians chapter 16? Look at verse 15. 1 Corinthians 16, 15. 1 Corinthians 16, 15. I beseech you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Ikei, and that they have, look what it says here, addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. That's a good addiction right there. Right. You know what? You, as faithful as you were to drinking, you got, that's how faithful you ought to be to the work of the ministry. As faithful as you were to your own lifestyle, that's how faithful you ought to be to the work of the ministry. So the problem is we gave ourselves zealously to the world. And then when we get saved, it's like, well, what kind of see how it goes? Man, you threw yourself to drugs and alcohol. Why don't you throw yourself to soul winning? Why don't you throw yourself to Bible reading? Why don't you throw yourself to Bible memorization? Why don't you throw yourself to doing right? These people, you say, they have a problem. They are addicted. Yeah, but they're addicted to the ministry of the saints. Yeah, that's good. Character is breaking bad habits and establishing good habits. Now, next Sunday night, I'm going to preach a sermon on how to develop character. There are two ways that the Bible tells us that exercise that God gives us in Scripture to develop good character. You say, Pastor Mattis, I want to do what you're talking about. I've got some things I want to get rid of. I've got some things I want to do better. I'm with you. How do I do it? Next Sunday night, we're going to be talking about two things that the Bible says that we can do to develop character, self-control, self-denial in our lives. I hope you have the character to make it. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord... I pray that you bless the time we have together. Thank you, Lord, for uh, allowing us to be able to study your word, Lord. And I hope that all of us can look at things in our lives. Lord, I can look at things in my life that I realize I need to work on. And I can be better at. And there are habits that I need to stop doing. And there are habits that I need to start doing. And Lord, the only way to have success in the Christian life is to develop character. Lord, I pray that you would help us. I pray that you would be with us. I pray that we would develop a walk with you, Lord, that we would walk in the Spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. 
Lord, we love you. I know preaching on character is not going to be the most popular sermon. I know that. But we need it. Habits and addictions want to bring us into captivity. They want to bring us into bondage. They want to destroy our lives. But I pray you'd help us to get victory over them. Help us to conquer them and help us to establish good addictions. Like it says in the Bible, they were addicted to the ministry of the saints. We love you, Father. In your precious name, I pray. Amen.